Hello and welcome to Stock Talk, a podcast series which brings together livestock specialists, vets and farmers to give you the tools you need to improve your business and embrace the future. Stock Talk is presented by myself, Robert Ramsey, and produced by Kirsten Blackwood as part of the Farm Advisory Service in association with the Scottish Government. Over recent months, we've discussed a very production-focused agriculture on Stock Talk. Today, we're going on a slightly different route, but still very much a commercial route, and we've got Martin Beard from the Rare Breed Survival Trust. So hello to you, Martin. How are you today? I'm all right. How are you? Yeah, very well. Very well. Thanks thanks for joining us today. Um, now, Rare Breed Survival Trust, um, what what is the Rare Breed Survival Trust and what is your role in it? Um, the Rare Breed Survival Trust is actually 50 years old this year. Um, it was started by uh, a group of um, farmers mainly, um, uh, led by a chap called Joe Henson, who you might have heard of. Um, Joe is Adam Henson's father. Um, Joe decided that um, something had to be done to preserve the, the the native genetics, if you like, the stuff that was, um, you know, there were there were there were breeds going out of um, or going into extinction. Um, the most recent being the the Lincolnshire coated pig back in those days, and um, Joe basically felt that there was a need to try and preserve the genetics for future use, for science, um, for uh, you know, for, for using um, in the future if we need them. Um, so he and a few others set about uh, doing this and started to to protect, uh, identify, and protect. Um, you know, bloodlines, um, identify and protect, spe- you know, um, breeds within species, to be honest, as well. Um, so that's happened for 50 years. And in those 50 years, nothing has actually been lost since then. Um, so that is the, the sort of claim that the RBST has. However, you know, we're 50 years on and we've still got um, – 60 odd animals on the watch list um, you know so we've still got a lot of work to do and um, I think that you know we've been trying to to uh, over the years um, get governments interested over the years get funds interested trying to, to ensure we can save as many animals as possible so I think what we've now started to do is to take a different approach and that approach is far more about you know recognizing the commerciality of these breeds, recognizing their use, recognizing their advantages, um, and start to promote those. So I think that um, we've definitely seen a shift over the last few years um, from, a, from a, a sort of a negative viewpoint, if you like, to a very positive one. Uh, and that positive one is all about trying to, to make sure that uh, we can uh, – keep these breeds and, and make them prosper and also provide opportunities for people to keep them. What do I do? Well, I'm, I, I used to be a trustee. Um, I was a trustee for a number of years and I decided I, I stood down from that. Um, and then the board asked me to, to take on the role of vice president for Scotland uh, to try and increase the profile of RBST up here. Um, and more importantly, perhaps to increase the profile of Scotland and RBST, because uh, you know, obviously, it, it was quite a uh, um, 
a down south centric um, uh, organization. So, um, you know, we wanted to try and change that um, because, you know, we're doing some pretty fantastic things up here. So we wanted to make sure that that was, uh, that, that actually became part of the conversation down south and it's actually um, done that very well um, to the extent that this year we've now, uh, we're now going ahead with the full Scottish registration for RBST. Um, which will be great um, and, you know, allows us then to, to have, you know, even more conversations with people about um, we can how we can help. Um, part of that is going to be um, we're going to be doing a, um, a reception at Holyrood on the 20th of April um, to take our message into, into politicians and, and tell them more about what we're doing and why we think it's important. And I think that that will be very well received. You know, you look at the so the Rare Breed Survival Trust, it hats off to those guys 50 years ago who, you know, certainly in the cattle world and, and the sheep world were competing with, you know, all the continental stuff coming in, all the, the Charlies and the Limmies and the all these big productive cattle that were, you know, vastly more efficient at converting, at meeting the needs of beef, beef and sheep production at that stage. However, you look to where, you know, we, I breed shorthorn cattle at home. Beef shorthorns are now mainstream. They've gone from being on the at-risk list and you guys and, and others have kept, or the work of the Rare Breed Survival Trust and others have kept that going to bring it to the point where when we were selling shorthorn stores for over three pound a kilo in a commercial market and a competitive market, and those cattle are standing up absolutely fine. So we don't know what. So the needs for me, the needs of of today are well met by that type of animal, or or they fit my system. A historically, we did do the lemmy thing, we did do the the continental thing, which is a place on many farms and across the country. It's not uh, it's certainly not obsolete by any means, but the role of those genetics, those traditional genetics that have been maintained are now vital to what I do at home. So it's amazing. We need to keep all those other things going to make sure that what the, what the, in the, in the next 50 years, what is the genetic suite that we need at that stage? And I think diversity, we hear about biodiversity all the time, but genetic diversity within species is so important as well. And, and hats off to, Joe Henson and others for keeping that, you know, that the legwork that's involved when no one's interested at the start to keep yeah, things yeah, yeah. going. I mean, and that was, and that was the, the biggest challenge I suspect was getting people actually involved and getting people interested. But, you know, I'm a, I'm a marketer at heart. I mean, my, that's my background. I was, I was a marketing director for many years. And, you, you know, I think we've got to, um, if you look at it from a marketing perspective, you know, our production and what we consume, um, you need, you need differentiation. You need differentiation in the market. And I've never been one to say, right, that's it. You know, all limits, all Charolais should go. Cause I don't, I don't agree with that because I think I have a place in the market, but the whole point is, you know, people need to have a choice. Um, and I think for a lot of time now and, and, you know, I can probably get on my hobby horse about this, but you know, you, you go into a, um, a marketplace, you go into a supermarket, you just see beef. Yeah. 
you don't see, you know, traditional Hereford beef, or you don't see, you know, Shetland beef, or you don't see Limousin beef even. You you just see beef, you know. And I think that there is a there's from a marketer's point of view, you know, can you imagine that on the cheese? If you had cheese and you said it's just cheese, you know, <laughs> it's like it's a, you know these breeds are different. They're genetically they taste different. Where they're from makes them different, you know. Uh, an upland, uh, a hill sheep is going to taste different from a lowland sheep, you know, just because of the different things it's been eating, you know. And that's the bit I think we've lost a little bit in terms of how that, you know, the market works. And the other thing about market is, is you know, uh, we keep box of sand in black. Do we do have a an old? Um, large black sow as well who's now barren but we we largely breed oxo-sounding black pigs we think that our our pork tastes fantastic you know and we think our bacon tastes fantastic and it's very different from that you'll find in other places so so we're charging more money for instance for that you know we charge a higher price per kilo mainly because we have to because we're small but also because you know it's it's the you know it's a pricing a differentiation and that's the whole point and I think that you know to have our pork selling at towns per kilo actually validates the price of a of a commercially uh, bred pork at three pound fifty a kilo you know you need the different price points otherwise you are not you, you, the market's not working so you have to have that difference of uh, you know, of market, if you like, to, and and that is why we're now saying this is something you should be interested in. And believe me, I'm not saying to everyone, right? You know, get rid of your commercial herd of cattle. But you know what? Why don't you keep a Why don't you keep a field and 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 put some, you know, put some Schweitz in there or put some beef shortons or something like that, just so that you've got differentiation in your market. You're not. You haven't got all of your eggs in one basket. Um, you know, we've seen what's happening now with the with the politicians and the, what they're, you know, certainly down south where they've done these deals, these trade deals. Which, you know, it, if you're if you're trying to compete with that, if that's your only the only way you can do it is to compete with that, then you know, it's going to be a tough time for the next few years. So differentiate, do something different. Uh, you know? I think it's. It's interesting to think, so we've got the option at the moment, you've got the choice of selling a global commodity and that's absolutely fine. So we've got beef food is now a commodity product yeah. and we have many businesses that successfully do compete on that, on that stage and do produce large volumes of, you know, global commodity product, or we've got the choice to sell a story. And I think the guys, our probably most successful businesses at the moment are the ones who've performed the best over the last five years are probably the ones who are selling a story they've got a bit of scale but they're selling the story to their consumer they're closer to their consumer and they're pushing their message to their consumer and accepting and are encouraging their consumer to go for a higher price point to to maybe eat less but better maybe you know there's a whole load of things happening and and i think the the case in point actually is i really enjoy always lucky to go to the smallholders festival at four for every year and a on our stand there and we meet a huge range of people it's a very 
different crowd to what we would normally see at a farmer meeting. Um, but a huge, diverse group of people and all of them are eating rare things. And you kind of think it's counter counterintuitive really. So we've got a room full of people who are eating things that are rare, but the fact that they're eating them means that they're in demand, means that there's a commercial business at the back of them, means that that breed actually then goes on to thrive and, and numbers actually land up going up and people have a positive eating experience and, and, you know, it perpetuates that, that story and that, that positive experience. And I think those, the farmer's market, the smallholders festival, the, you go to the rugby now and you quite often see there's a, you know, there'll be a pulled pork stand or there'll be a, a specialist bacon job or whatever, tell the story. And I think that's where the small guy so generally the the larger producers are commodity producers and the smaller producers are diversified producers but the the rare breed story fits well in the small one but as you say martin there is a place for it into those larger businesses too well there is because uh, you know i think as you as as the market develops and and you know for a long time now the the, the missing link really has been uh, trying to get rare breed meat uh, and grass-fed meats and things like that into restaurants, you know, and where people can see it. Um, and there has been a that's been a, a tough sell. Um, but there's starting some people up here now doing it, you know. Um, and there's restaurants in Edinburgh. There's wholesalers down in in Wishaw. They're working hard at. at um, you know, selling in rare meat in particular, uh, you know, okay. It's small volumes at the moment, but it's, it's, you know, from small things, um, do, do big things grow as they say. And I think, you know, we, we're in such a period of change and, and, you know, we, we, I think the whole industry knows we've got to lower our inputs. So how do we lower our inputs? You know, so, um, yeah, clearly one of the ways to doing that is to is to use animals that can thrive on on slim pickings. You know, um, I have Portland sheep out there at the moment. Um, they're uh, they're grazing happily on not a lot. Um, you know, because the grass hasn't started growing yet. But they're you know they're still they're thriving. Uh, I'm not supplementary feeding them. You know, um, and they and they're doing okay. Okay, I have to keep them for longer. Um, you know, I have to keep them for an extra six months, 12, uh, you know, but then, you know, I've got mutton at the end of it and the mutton tastes completely different, um, from, from, uh, from a commoditized lamb product, if you like. So, you know, that's fed on grass. Um, and I just think that there's a, there's a, there's a place for that. Um, but it's trying to find, it's trying to make that, you've got to join it all up. You know, yeah. you've got to join it all up from the from production through to the end. And you're right. You know, I'm also involved with one of the regional food groups. Um, and you know, I think I think it was last year was a year of storytelling. Um, and we were encouraging people to do just that, tell tell stories. And at the conference we got coming up, um, Kerry Ritchie is hosting a, the last session of the day, which is why farmers need to be masters. And we've got a couple of uh, really good people coming in there. Um, we've got Jock, Jock Gibson from Macbeths up in Inverness. We've got Anna Lamont from from Garswell Farm. You know, we've got Sasha Grierson 
Hugh Grierson Organic, you know, pioneers of this message, you know, of, of how you get the story across. And, and I think that's what it's all about. It's having that story that, that works. And you don't need to be small to have a story. You know, you can, you can have a, you can have a big business with a story just the same. Um, but what you've got to do is you've got to be willing to do it. And a lot of that means, you know, as I said earlier, you know, having a, maybe having a niche that you you're trying to, to satisfy, maybe you're trying to do something a bit different. Um, you know, maybe go to a, a different sale or go through a different route of, of getting to market. Um, and just tell a different story. You're absolutely right. And, and also, you know, there's fun in that. Fun's allowed. You know, there's, it's an enjoyable <laughs> process. Um, being a bit closer. I, I, and, I, would, I would say to you when I'm trying to wrangle my partners, it's not fun. Uh, yeah. <laughs> You've got to tell yourself it's fun though. Um, I think I would say there's a few other good people on some of your other panels on your conference day as well. Just, just a wee chip there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, there's some guy called Robin Ramsey who's speaking at one page. <laughs> yeah, well, it's maybe worth avoiding that one, but there's some other good ones who are good. But um, no, so just on that, I suppose the the twenty first, doesn't it, as your as your conference? Do you want to just run through roughly what that day entails? Because it sounds like you know I'm really looking forward to that day, and and certainly that's part of the reason you're on here is to to give that a yeah. bit of a plug. So um, fire away. Well, seeing, as, seeing as you're on one of the panels, it's the 23rd, Robert. Okay. There we go. 23rd. 20, 20. <laughs> <laughs> it is in my diary. I will be there. <laughs> Where did we come from? I mean, last year, RBST ran um, Food and Farming Sustainability Awards um, because there was a gap, really. I felt there was a gap in the market for, for um, trying to encourage people to talk about sustainability in their food and farming. And obviously, we think that rare and native breeds have got a major part in that. But um, it wasn't really being recognized. So we ran that with, for, a, for a first time, and we got over 50 entries. Um, from farms from you know it's basically split food and farming um and it just sort of was really interesting and i think that some of the people we got who who entered we weren't expecting uh and we got some stories that we weren't you know perhaps haven't been told to a wider audience you know um uh you know, there was one of the one of the winners was Jane Cooper in the Orkney Borray community up there. And they're doing stuff with Borray sheep. Um, Borray sheep for years were possibly one of the rarest sheep that there were. Um, you know, they're wild, they're native sheep, they're, you know, can thrive on thin air. Um, but they're, you know, to farm them is, is you know, a... a concerted effort, as I said. And, and Jane and her team have done a fantastic job um so they won and so we thought well maybe there's something we can do with this and we we ran a conference a couple of years back uh which we called back to the future uh and the whole purpose of that was to sort of try and say to people look you know if you're looking for the future of agricultural policy maybe you should be looking backwards as well and look at native breeds and what they can bring for you um so this is a this is the next stage on from that really and and it was trying to say to to people there there is a there's a way here um to try and look at the whole picture um have have uh people on who are 
who were doing this and have people on who were who are curious and you know science farming you know sales all of those things are all part of the mix as it were so what we wanted to do is to 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 really just open up a new perspective if you like um because it, you can get bogged down i think i think that in the current agricultural climate you're talking about the different um um, you know the way in which the government have got to manage the the transition from cap to something else um and there's a lot of noise you know and there's a lot of noise that is a lot of it is about we don't want to throw the baby out with the bathwater we don't want to do anything different we want to try and stay where we are and we just start, felt that there was a there's a different way of looking at it and whether that's sustainable farming, whether that's regenerative, if you want to call it regenerative or, um, or whether it's just doing things the old way, um, you know, but, but adding technology into that. And I think you, you, you and I had this conversation, um, and you're absolutely right. It's, 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 it's having that, you know, bringing some of the ideas from the past and, and putting them into today's context with today's technology and see what they can actually do to help us frame the future because the future is going to be different um so we we basically put six panels together so first one is looking at soil second one is looking forward 20 years and that's the one that you're sitting on um and i'm really looking forward to that um then we're talking about biodiversity and talking about you know what actually biodiversity means because a lot of people don't realize that that the un biodiversity convention which we signed up to and that's the UK and Scotland as part of that includes looking after native breeds and farm livestock, you know, so there's a, there's a, there's a, we're beholden to do this anyway. Uh, and then after lunch, we're then going to be sitting down and, and, um, talking about carbon and what, you know, cause there's lots of talk about carbon and I think there's lots of talk about natural capital and the, you know, I've seen a lot of stuff lately about carbon credits and how those are going to work. Um, you know, and, and I have this sort of fear at the back of my head that people are going to be buying up big tranches of land thinking there's carbon credits involved in that. Um, you know, and it's sort of, I'm sort of thinking, oh, it sounds like 10 years ago when people were buying up lots of land just for having land, you know, <laughs> that's not the way we need to go. Um, then the fifth one is, is the fifth panel is talking about the livestock food chain and really, talking about uh, you know the big the big elephant in the room which is you know sustainable abattoirs and and you know how we can how we can make the make the food chain work because it doesn't work at the moment um and then last up is is the marketing conversation um we just come back to the abattoir for a minute because this is it, it's so important we had a you were probably at the smallholder festival um which i'm involved with as well as you know um and we ran a we ran a um a panel there at the smallholder festival talking about abattoirs and uh we had about 80 people sitting in the room um and you know that was two years ago and I don't think we're much further forward, to be honest. Um, and in fact, we're worse off because since then, um, downfield has closed. So if you're a, if you're a, I mean, sitting sit where I sit on the east coast of Scotland, you know, I sit and farm near Arbroath. 
uh, my nearest abattoir is 100 miles away. Um, you know, that'll be that'll be West Shore, is it? Um, shots, shots, shots. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm equidistant between shots and Granton. Um, okay. uh, and I keep pigs and I have mugs of hairy pigs, you know. Um, mm. it's difficult to it's difficult to, 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 to find people to take it. They need you know, they have to be processed in a different way. Um, we're we really lucky at home that we are, so we are probably what would be 20 miles from shots. So we supply two, two lambs a month to the pub down the road. You know, there's a, a bit of box beef type story that we do and it's not, a, it's not a massive part of the business, but it's something, it's a nice, it's a bit, as I say, that I, I, thoroughly enjoy and it's a bit that you almost sense checks what you're putting into the actual market you know you're you're just making sure that what you're producing is is what the world's needing um but we can we can do that with relative ease as a butchery just on two farms down the road who box so there's quite a nice short supply chain low food miles type story but your story is super low carbs or super super low food miles until you process it and drive it 200 miles to get it from where it get it to where it started that's right it's it's a, it's an it's an absolute nightmare um you know i, I mean i don't think we're ever going to go back you know it's, it's impossible to go back to where we were where you had sort of local abattoirs in most places um you know, largely because a lot of them were in towns, you know, and they'd be sited in the middle of towns and, you know, the land is worth far more to a developer than it is to a, to an abattoir owner. And I, but I think the economics, I mean, I think that, you know, the story of Downfield shows that um, the economics is really difficult. So, um, so how do we get around that? And I'm, it's not beyond technology to find solutions here you know? could we do remote vetting for instance could there be something that actually is different that we could do to make it more attractive i mean it, you know it, it's just how do we get the people how do we get the people in to, to do the work um, and, and the problem I, I can see the other side where the vet and the abattoir has a hugely important role in stopping something entering the food chain that should not be in the food chain. So, you know, I think we, we all get that, but it's how we do that on a, on a small mobile type scale and how we, how we make it pay. Cause ultimately the, the food we're producing, you, you had mentioned about the price point and the, the increased price point of native bread pork or native bread beef is accepted by the, the consumer but would they accept double the price for killing it or double that, you know, there's only so far you can push the price of food until you actually just accept that we'll go with the average stuff rather than the superior stuff. So, yeah, yeah, I think that's true. But, but again, there's a story involved in that. Um, you know, people are interested in, in the provenance of food and where it's coming from. I mean, not everyone, um, you know, not everyone is interested. Um, we do farmers markets, you know, at least we, we did, we haven't done one for a couple of years, but you know, we, we used to do farmers markets here in our growth, you know, and we have people coming to us, um, who are coming back again and again, a bit like you earlier on, you know, there's, there's nothing as, uh, nothing, nothing is like market testing than selling locally. 
and knowing that the people are coming back to you next month, <laughs> you've got to make sure, you know, that's your, that's your, uh, you know, your survey right there. Um, and, uh, they do come back and, and, you know, people will say to you, well, yes, we are, we, we realize that it's expensive, but, um, we understand what you're trying to do. Uh, and we want something that tastes better. Um, you know, and that, and that story continues on. Will there be a point? Yes. I mean, there's obviously a, a there's always going to be a, a, a point beyond which it becomes uneconomic. Um, and that's the difficulty I think for anyone looking at trying to do something with, different with avatars now. And that's why I'm, I'm, I'm really interested in that, that debate because we've actually got, you know, on that debate, we've got, um, um, not only have we got people who are trying to, you know, who are doing it now, we've got Frank Ross from ABP um, and Sam Parsons, who's our, our host of Bauhaus from Balkaski Estate. And Sam's looked into this in quite a lot of detail in terms of how they do it. Um, and he's got some interesting views on, on, you know, and this may be another alternative that, that instead of investing in smaller abattoirs, you invest in larger abattoirs to take, smaller kills and take private kills and take different kills because they've already got the people in place. And there is a logic to that, which I can see. And I think that it's going to be interesting to see how that plays out in the debate. Um, and we've got, uh, what's really interesting for me, I think is you having that, you know, you, that reception at Holyrood is a major step forward, you know, being able to have that, that conversation with politicians, because ultimately it's legislation that gets in the way here and it's legislation and lack of support. And I think if you can get politicians ear to make, you know, it, it starts a ball rolling, it starts and that ball has been trying to roll for quite a long time, but I think there's a bit more momentum behind it. And I think post Brexit, post, there's more storytelling, more marketing, more, more drive towards that now than, than probably there's ever been in, in my lifetime. That hopefully all these things are coming together. There's demand from the public, there's demand from the producers and you guys have got Scottish government's ear on it. So hopefully we can start to have a decent conversation about it and make some, something happen, whether it's large scale, small scale, mobile, whatever it is. If we can get more capacity out there, we can have more, more of but everything. You know, I think, I think that, you know, the ministers I've spoken to, I, uh, and I've spoken to the cabinet secretary and the minister, um, you know, different times, they get it. <laughs> I really think they get it. You know, they understand the issue. Um, and, it's one of these things, you know. There's more that there's more that we've got in common than divides us, and I think I think that when we realise, as an industry and as a government and as producers and as farmers, when we realise we've got to work together to solve this problem, we're halfway there. Um, and at the moment, I I think there's a there's. I, I want. I don't want to say adversarial, but I think if you take a, it, you know, it, these things get amplified out, and I think that what we need to do is to bring that back to a, a very very specific issue, and find a solution. And I think there is a solution. I just, you know, it needs the goodwill of everybody to sit around the table because we've got to do something. You know, we cannot continue 
I mean, you use shots just down the road uh, from you, you know. Um, who's to say, you know, where's the next one going to be? You know, it's not, it's not a, you know, they, they need to invest. Every business needs to invest. Um, you know, shots, we shall grant and, you know, Dingwall, you name it. Everyone needs to keep investing to stay ahead of the game. Um, and they need to invest in people. They need to invest in equipment. They need to invest in kit. Um, and they're not going to do that if they can't see support. You know, so there has to be support from from farmers to foot, but there also has to be support from the end user also. And and the supermarkets have a place to pay here, you know. And, and when if, you look if at... It, if it doesn't happen, you know, we, we've seen it in the downfield and the deer scenario. Do you know, we yeah. now, we're now in a position where we've got farmed deer, which a deer is a iconic Scottish animal that now pretty much can only be slaughtered in England and yeah. what, a, what a challenging difficult position to put a probably a fledgling industry an exciting fledgling industry something that's got an awful lot of potential in this country to grow but we don't have capacity to to deal with the end product and, and it all goes to um a goes to England and and, and that you know my point being if we take our eye off the ball and just accept that we'll just keep working with shots we'll just keep working you know that we can do it who knows what 20 years down the line looks like for oh, processing um, we, we need more of these these places so what about so I'm thinking about the meeting or the, the conference on the 23rd of March well um, done how do we how do we book onto that or where, where do we get more information because I'm now even more excited about it just listening to what what you're know, running through that agenda it's an amazing opportunity i think for people to to yeah dip their toe in this world or, or expand their knowledge in this world so how do, how do we get there um well i mean the simplest way is to go on to the website i mean there's a there's a website for rbst.org um and uh, you can follow the the menu through to um to the conference and there's a details about the agenda there's details of how to buy tickets um so you know there are uh, uh you know it's, it's it's easy enough to do um tickets are, are then you then go through to a, a, a website on the main rvst um website and that's actually got the the ticket uh, sales through there um but um yeah rvscotland.org is the is the starting point and we can bang that in the show notes for this as well, so you'll get that. Oh, that's very good. Thank you very much. So, um, <laughs> my topic that day is the farm of twenty forty. So, what does the future hold? And as we kind of touched on there, I think my the summary of my view there is it probably looks a lot like what the farm of nineteen forty, maybe maybe not quite so long ago, but it look it's probably a wee bit more traditional, but with an awful lot more technology and monitoring and data, and so. It, we can see farmers heading in that direction, heading towards native cows and continental continental bulls. And there's a, a lot of things happening in that space. So we'll, we'll have a good conversation there. But what I wondered is to you, so you're going to ask me what the farm of 2040 looks like. And I'm going to ask you, what does the Rare Breed Survival Trust look like at 2040? So you've come a long way in the last 50 years, but what does the next 20 look like? Oh, that's a very good question. I mean, I think, 
I think if 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 we can get um, a broad recognition that, that native right. dock and equines are, are part of our biodiversity, a part of our native heritage, our national heritage, rather, um, I think they will have got a long way along that route. Um, you know, I think we've, over the 50 years, um, you know, people forget and they, they, they see, they see native breeds as being, um, I think a lot of people assume they're still there. You know, I guess if you, you know, I don't know, I don't know about now, but you know, if, if, if you were to put a, a, a sheet of paper and some, and some pens in front of my kids, um, five, 10 years ago and said to them, you know, well, probably a bit more than that, um, draw a farm, you know, draw the countryside. They would have drawn fields with sheep in and they would have drawn fields with cows in and those would have been dairy cows and, you know, they'd have drawn black spotty cows and, you know, um, and I think that that still, that still exists, that, that thought process that, that native breeds have always been there. Um, and I think that the trend towards intensification and, and industrialization fills a lot of people with a lot of fear um, and a lot of, because it, it, it isn't what they know. So our challenge over the next 20 years is as, as my kids grow up, as, as uh, you know, the next generation comes along, that they don't forget about our native heritage and they don't forget about what our countryside should look like and they don't forget about what our farm livestock was uh, and, and, and should be again. So, I mean, I think if we're part of that, national conversation as RBST then then we'll have done a good job um I'd like to also hope that we're you know we've got much shorter supply chains we've got much shorter um you know we've got we've got people buying properly labeled produce you know um that there is that we've achieved that um you know because that's one of the other things that we we you know we didn't needs to be done um you know provenance needs to be front center you know so you know people want to know where their food is come from and they want to know what they're eating um and all the scare stories you get of stuff coming in from the states and stuff coming from from overseas and you know with different standards to ours just enhance that view as far as i'm concerned you know um and and scotland i think has a great story to tell you know, it, but it needs to enhance that story. You know, you know, I think, I think uh, QMS has done a great job at, at persuading people that that our husbandry and our and our land and our grass and everything else are a crucial part of what makes Scottish food brilliant. But I think we now need further. I need. To, I think we now need to say yes. This is yes. It's. Scottish beef, but it's it's Highland beef. Um, it's from Highland cows, you know. And these are this is the reason why Highland cows are important. You know, they're important because they graze areas that other other animals won't go to. You know, uh, we've got dual purpose cows coming through, and I, I'd like to see us having micro dairies and stuff like that using using native cows. 
There you go. You need to get dairy short on and uh, get some <laughs> yeah, northern dairy short on and have a micro dairy. That would do. <laughs> so I mean, I think it's all of those. It's all of those. You know, I mean, I think RBST. To some, somebody asked me this a while back, and I, and I, I'd, I'd love to say the RBST does itself out of its job. You know, I'd love us to be able to say, yeah, job done. You know, um, the future of our native livestock is secure. Um, the reality, however, is that it's not. You know, I mean, all native pig breeds, all of them are under pressure. You know, um, and obviously the pig market at the moment is 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 pretty bloody tough anyway. Um, so, you know, there's still a job to be done. So uh, I suspect in 20 years' time, we'll still be here. Still, still <laughs> it does strike me, though, that the role, your role is changing and that what happened 50 years ago was a small group of people creating or trying their best to create a movement to, to stop breeds going extinct whereas now we've got a big enough movement and a big enough group and a big enough culture of people who are passionate about their specific breed or they're you know they're engaged in that and and it strikes me that that's now nearer sustainable than it's been and your role actually is heading more towards the government story the marketing story the all the tools that you can put in place to encourage that group of people who are engaged in maintaining the breed and actually allowing that breed to go on and excel. Yeah, I think that's, I think that's, that's right in that we've recognized that we can't do it in isolation. So we can't, we can't be successful without government, for instance, you know, and, you know, in Wales, literally this year, you know, within their sustainable farming scheme, they have actually put a specific native breeds option, you know, so it's in there. There's, there's government support for selling native breed products uh, and for using these breeds in delivering economic, uh, sorry, environmental benefits. So, I mean, we, we have achieved something there with the Welsh government to actually recognize that native breeds are an important part of, of the framework, if you like going forward we're not there yet um with um you know here in scotland um but i'm hoping that we will be you know and i think if if um when we recognize that you're then giving a reason to, to keep them because you're then saying to people right you know there's a there's an economic reason for you to keep native breeds as well um and once the economics of it uh, playing alongside the heritage aspects, the biodiversity aspects, the lower inputs, everything else that, you know, I think you've then got a compelling case. Um, and, and it's just the same as with the avatar story. You can't do it in isolation. You have to have the whole, you have to have the whole picture. Um, and you have to have all parts of that working together. So there's a lot of, um, you know, there's a lot of push, if you like, from us to try and make that happen. And, and, and also trying to, to, you know, I think we've got to focus on the pool side. We've got to start encouraging people to tell the stories so that, that consumers come and start asking for it. And I think that's the, the next challenge. And, you know, I come back to this honest labeling, you know, I mean, you can, you've got to get that honest labeling right so that people understand what it is that they're eating and where it's coming from. 
Yeah, the danger of you know telling the truth to consumer is a major asset, and lying to them you only get to do that once. So, um, yeah, huge topic, Martin. That's been really, really interesting, and I hope um, this you know for our listeners has been interesting, and certainly would encourage anyone who's available on the twenty third of March uh, to head to Bowhouse, book on, and head to Bowhouse for what I'm sure is going to be a really interesting day. So. With that, Martin, I just want to thank you very much for your time and wish you all the best for for all your endeavours going forward. Thanks, Al, Robert. If you enjoyed listening to Stock Talk, you may enjoy some of our other podcasts, such as Crofting Matters, which is a 12-part monthly show that discusses all things crofting in Scotland, including livestock management. You may also enjoy our new podcast, Agriculture, which tells the stories of some interesting and influential people in the agricultural industry. Just search Crofting Matters or Agriculture wherever you get your podcasts from. The Farm Advisory Service Podcast. Audio advice on livestock, crops and soils, environment, rural business and more. Brought to you in association with the Scottish Government.